Welcome. I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. My name is Olivia Wan, and I'm pleased to be your moderator for today's episode. Today we're talking about some timely HIPAA reminders. Recently, I worked through some alleged HIPAA privacy violations with the Office of Civil Rights, and the Divas thought that this would be a great opportunity to share with you what the OCR is looking for and some great reminders for you to prevent some of these same violations. As the Compliance Divas, we bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. Resources that we mention during the podcast can be found on our website. Also, you can submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. So recently when I was working with this dental practice with these HIPAA violations, I thought it was interesting what the Office of Civil Rights did in gathering information for this complaint. And it appears that the first thing that the investigator did was review the dental office's website to locate the notice of privacy practices. And the reason for that is that they were looking to see if they had a contact listed for the organization for more information or how to make a complaint. So let's look at this as a big picture. If someone makes a complaint about privacy rights, who would you make that complaint to? And why did this individual go straight to the Office of Civil Rights? Why would they not take up this matter with the dental office directly, individually, before jumping way up to the government to make a complaint? So we thought we could pare this down into smaller pieces with the divas so they could discuss each aspect. And I thought we could start with Mary so she could share her wisdom about using a model notice of privacy practices and discuss those elements just to make sure that our listeners have all the necessary components in place. Mary, how can you help us with this? Well, hopefully I can help a lot. Um, it, I, I loved your comment about, or your question, why would an individual um, make a complaint directly to um, the Office for Civil Rights or to HIPAA rather than go to the dental practice with their concern. And I had a case where that happened um, with a client um, who left a practice very unhappy and did not let the practice know that that patient was unhappy, <clears throat> went home and went online and found out they could file a complaint online. And that means you get an automatic um, audit from from HIPAA, they will investigate that. So first of all, whether it has to do with HIPAA or with OSHA compliance, beware of using boilerplate type of language. I see some people that just take a, a like a privacy plan 
from a manual that they purchased and just adopt it as theirs. They haven't really read through it. They just put their name and address in the in the fill in the blanks. But you have to understand that some of the things that are stated in that may not be what you're doing, but you are held to whatever it says in their plan. And that can be a violation. So what HIPAA says, the Department of Health and Human Services Services says must be covered in the notice of privacy practices is how the covered entity may use and disclose protected health information about that individual, the individual's rights with respect to that information and how that individual may exercise those rights, including how they may complain to the covered entity, the covered entity being the dental practice, and then the covered entity's legal duties with respect to the information, including some type of a statement that says the covered entity is required by law to maintain the privacy of that protected health information. And as Olivia was mentioning earlier, whom individuals can contact for further information about the covered entity's privacy policies. So you name whoever is your HIPAA officer in the practice, and you give a phone number and you could give an email address to make it convenient. Some people put a fax number in, but I don't know, there's not a lot of faxing that's going on anymore because of email. So those are the things that have to be done. And then that notice of privacy practices has to be made available to anyone who asks for it. If I want to see, I had an incident where I went to one of my healthcare providers and they asked me to sign a statement saying that I received a copy. And I said, but I didn't. And they said, oh, and I said, well, can I see a copy? And they didn't even have one. So we had some conversations about that um, to make sure that they, they had one going forward. And then you are we also required, as Olivia said, to post it on your website and to make it available uh, in your office at some place. Now, back before the 2013 um, HIPAA omnibus rule was, was um, published, the notice of privacy practices templates that were out there were only a couple of pages, but there was so much more information included after 2013. Now, if you look at a lot of the templates, they may be as many as four or five pages. I don't know that we necessarily need to take up wall space posting this up in our reception areas, but you can print them if you choose to on like a legal size paper, fold it into a booklet, put it in a nice stand so they're available to someone who wants them, or you can print them on demand. Um, I also have clients that laminate the copies and leave them at the front desk so they're available if someone wants to look at them. Thank you, Mary. So just to emphasize a couple of important points that you made, one is if you have a website, and, and I would say that probably most dental practices do, if you have a website, it is required by law that the notice of privacy practices be available on that website. So whether it's the entire uh, notice that's listed or there's a link to download it, it has to be there. Because just like this incident that I've been working through with the uh, lawyer that works for the government, they're going to look at that dental practices website. And if that 
is not listed, that's problem number one. And then Mary, I also appreciated how you discussed those required elements, because what we see people will just pick up something free, maybe off of the internet, or maybe it's something that comes with their practice management program that is uh, on these digital uh, signing pads. So we want to make sure that the, if they're using a model plan, at least use something that the government has put together because uh, we know that they're going to approve that and that those necessary elements are in place and we're not missing the contact information of who to make the complaint to because we really prefer, uh, especially with these smaller issues, that the complaint may be made directly with the dental office so they can rectify it rather than escalating it all the way up to the federal government. But I'd like to pick Linda's brain. I know this is something that she and I have been talking about for quite a while, that there are changes that we anticipate that relates to the notice of privacy practices. Can you share your insight on that, Linda? Yes, Olivia. There are some extensive updates to this acknowledgement form and they're wrapped into the overall, I should say more extensive updates that have been approved for the privacy rule. They've been approved at the federal level and we're just waiting for them to be published. Under the current privacy rule, covered entities are required to ask patients to sign, to, to give the patients, pardon me, to give the patients a copy of their acknowledgement of receipt of notice of privacy practices. The patient has never been required to sign it. The patient doesn't have to sign it. But ideally, you want the patient to sign it because it's simply acknowledging that they've been received or been offered a copy because some folks decline it at this point. They may not want to read it. But nevertheless, that's been a requirement since 2003 but when the privacy rule became effective. Again, that covered entities must provide patients with that sign-in sheet that si or sign-off sheet rather that they've signing that they've received acknowledgement of the notice of privacy practices, that patients aren't required to sign that form. And what happens if they don't? Simply make a note on the form or make a note in your practice management software system so you have that on record. But what we see changing, Olivia, with these extensive updates, and I'm using the word extensive quite a bit here because there, there are some huge changes that will be coming very soon. We've been waiting for them to be published for more than a year now. But when the new privacy rule is published, a covered entity will not be required to use that acknowledgement of receipt of notice of privacy practices anymore. But they are still obligated, as you and Mary both have mentioned, to offer and to try to give the patient a copy of the notice of privacy practices and to make it available, and the word is prominently in the law, prominently available uh, on their website and in their office. So that's one of the big things that's coming, Olivia, but it's not here yet. So until we they hear otherwise from us or another uh, compliance expert or their practice attorney, please continue to offer the patient um, that signature form for their acknowledgement of receipt. Um, even if they don't want to sign it, just make a note of it. Great information. So as soon as that does go through, the Compliance Divas will be sure to publish an episode so that everyone will be aware that the changes have been published. So right now, as Linda mentioned, maintain status quo. Uh, but, you know, anytime there's a rule, what happens if you break it? And Liz Leslie is going to talk to us about some enforcement highlights. Leslie. Well, you know, Olivia, 
Health and Human Services website, they have a mission statement that is enhancing the health and well-being of all Americans. And so if you have HIPAA rules and and policies and you don't follow them and you get in trouble because of that, there may be some enforcement action that's taken against a dental practice. Just to give you an idea, over the last 20 years, when we first saw the privacy rule go into effect in April of 2003, OCR, which is Office of Civil Rights, that's the Department of Health and Human Services, received over 325,000 HIPAA complaints, and they initiated over 1,100 compliance reviews and resolved about 97% of those cases. Uh, they investigated and resolved over 30,000 cases by requiring changes in, in privacy practices at dental, or pardon me, at uh, healthcare provider facilities. And they also did something called issued corrective action. So there were steps that the facility had to take to demonstrate that they had made the changes. And they also provided uh, technical assistance. Corrective action obtained by OCR from those entities resulted in change that's systemic and affects all individuals that Health and Human Services actually services. So the OCR successfully enforced HIPAA rules by applying corrective measures in all cases where an investigation indicated non-compliance by the covered entity or their business associate. So uh, that's interesting to know that when you, if you are investigated by OCR or Health and Human Services, as uh, sometimes we refer, uh, that there's likely going to be steps that you have to take, and they're not easy steps. Usually, they're quite intensive and involved. OCR settled and imposed civil penalties as well in 130,000, pardon me, in 130 cases resulting in uh, fines, the total dollar amount that they cited covered entities was over $135 million. So if this isn't something that we should ignore. All of the different components that were discussed in this podcast, even as simple as having the notice of privacy practices on your website, is important to make sure that you don't come under scrutiny. Um, so when it comes to cases where they detected the, there was uh, problems, they offered technical assistance to the covered entities and their business associates and helped them understand better how to comply with HIPAA. But uh, just to give you an idea of some of the most common types of uh, complaints or alleged complaints until they actually became uh, complaints that were, were validated was in the order of frequency, OCR said impermissible use and disclosure of protected health information. That was the most common uh, type of complaint, and that's complaint from patients. Lack of safeguards or protect of protected health information was next. Then lack of patient access to their protected health information. Lack of administrative safeguards of electronic protected health information and use or disclosure of more than the minimum necessary protected health information. And again, you know, it's not just uh, dental offices that need to be aware. Really, the most co uh, common types of covered entities that have been alleged to have committed violations in order of frequency are general hospitals, 
private practices and physicians, and that's where dental practices often fall, uh, pharmacies, outpatient facilities, and community health centers. Thank you, Leslie. And, and it's interesting that even though these larger organizations are the ones that are more heavily cited, that over the last year or two, the Office of Civil Rights has uh, showcased dental offices with HIPAA violations, and that common one being the right to access, you know, providing uh, timely request of records for a patient. Um, one of the things I wanted to share is that my experience dealing with the Office of Civil Rights as a lawyer is much like my experience of dealing with dental board complaints, where, you know, the dentist or the dental office will, they obviously receive notice that there is an allegation of something that went wrong. And the dental office or the dentist has the opportunity to share their side of the story. And whether it's a dental board or the Office of Civil Rights dealing with the HIPAA complaint, a big focus is how are you going to prevent this from happening again? What changes are you making internally? So whatever happened that caused this privacy breach, how do we prevent that from reoccurring? And I'm sure that collectively all of the divas have worked through uh, HIPAA complaints and dealing with mishaps and training people how to prevent this from happening again. I know one of the things that I encourage is uh, if I'm on site, I want to sit in the reception area and just listen to things of things that I hear at, be taking place at the front desk. You know, how can we monitor as a third person disconnected from those normal routines of how much information is being exposed. And so the big takeaway take for today's episode is to make sure that we have the notice of privacy practices available on the website, because that first step in dealing with an allegation of a complaint is that the OCR wants to look at your website to see who that contact person is. And if we don't have that information listed, then we're already starting out on a bad foot. Now, uh, Linda, what can you share with us to supplement? Olivia, I think you and I should call, and all of us should qualify what that means when you say it's on the website. So that way, you know, everybody's kind of thinking, you know, prominently, where's it supposed to be prominently placed? Because that's the word that's used in the law. I see many dental practices, and this is my humble opinion. So we've all dealt with OCR at some level, that prominently placed does not mean in your footer of your website. It's harder to find. You have to scroll all the way down. And as a new patient, you know, you're, you're, that's the person who's most likely going to be looking for it first, a new patient. Is, is it on the tab with the new patient forms, for example, someplace easy to find? And I've always recommended, Olivia, that they not call it privacy policy, that they call it actually what it is, you notice the privacy practices or maybe HIPAA privacy, something that denotes that it's related to the privacy rule under the Office of Civil Rights and HHS because the Federal Trade Commission requires that you have a general privacy policy on all websites. And that's about cookies and collecting cookies and targeting cookies and all those things. And the two get confused. So I think a, a lot of misperceptions come up, as you and Mary had mentioned, um, with that notice of privacy practices when it's the user um, practice management software version, or they listen to a webmaster or somebody who really doesn't know those uh, requirements. So um, Leslie, you have a thought? You know, 
Linda, I also, and echoing having it on your website, when I uh, visit my clients, I always check their website to see if it's easy to find. And many times it's not easy to find. And sometimes it's part of their practice management software that you would really only go to if you were a new patient. So being easy and calling it what it is. The other thing is when a patient gets to the practice, the notice of privacy practices should be the most current version. Many times I ask my clients to show me what they give their new patients for a new patient package. And I'll see the 2003 notice of privacy practices that has been copied so many times you can barely read it. But the key point is that the HIPAA rules changed uh, with the HIPAA omnibus rule in 2013. And there's a new notice of privacy practices that explains new rights. So you can't use the old one. And if the old one is on your website, please update to the new one. Great. Thank you. And, and just to dovetail what Linda was pointing out. So if you look at your website at the very bottom near the footer, you will have the privacy policy, which is about the information you're collecting through your website. It is required through the Federal Trade Commission. But your notice of privacy practices is entirely different. And, and just to add to what Linda was saying about that, your NPP, your Notice of Privacy Practices, whatever you have on your website needs to be the same thing that you're using internally in your dental practice. They need to be the very same ones. So we want to be uh, just aware of that so we don't have any disconnects. And uh, Leslie, thank you for that information about how many times things are duplicated and they're not even legible. Mary, what can you help us with? I have a very positive story to share. I received personally an email last week from an ophthalmology practice in Michigan where I used to live, and it stated that it was time for me to schedule my appointment. And the hairs were kind of standing up on the back of my neck because I had never been a patient in this practice and I don't live in that state anymore. So I immediately called them and this practice immediately sent me to their um, HIPAA privacy officer and they also directed me to their website and they explained the situation. They had acquired an optometric practice in an area where I used to live and so I was part of that database, which the practice hadn't updated that I'm not a patient there anymore, but it wasn't, I'm thinking, well, you know, did my information get breached somewhere, but it didn't, but this practice handled it so professionally. They're like, please don't worry. Um, it, it really isn't a problem. It's just this. And I'll notify the other practice to make sure that they inactivate you and all of that. So Yay, but I was a little frightened at first um, when I got that message. Understandably, that's good information. And I think also, I don't know how the dental office is when they have that new patient, when they're going over how, you know, the practice's mission and how they work with patients. It might be something that's brought up at that point, too, to say, uh, you know, Jane Doe in our office serves as the privacy officer. If there's any concerns about how we handle your information, please talk to Jane internally so that this issue could be addressed. And this way, you know, patients fully understand that there is a chain of command to go through within the practice to try to discourage uh, things going straight to the government that could have been handled internally. 
So we really appreciate the collective experience of the compliance divas and how that can help our listeners in preventing a potential privacy breach that could have been handled directly by a dental practice. We appreciate you tuning into this episode. As the Compliance Divas, we bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Any resources that we've mentioned with this episode will be available in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in.